0: It's taking some time to go through chapter 13. There's a lot going on. You'll remember that um, that is where the missionary work in the broadest sense of that uh, description begins for the church as the church goes out, takes its first steps into the ends of the earth. Remember, Acts is structured around uh, Jesus' call to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And the apostles take their, Paul and Barnabas take their first step to the ends of the earth, stepping on the, the uh, end times islands, the island of Cyprus. And uh, today, or last week, we began to see that a second step, the second place that they come to, really, to proclaim the Lord, Antioch in Pisidia. So we'll continue to see what's going on there as we come to a different part of the story. We'll begin in uh, verse 42, or excuse me, verse 44. I'll read verse 44 through the end of the chapter. Give your full attention to the reading and hearing of God's word. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Almighty God. Meet with us, speak to us in a way which is utterly beyond human capacity, human preparation. Lord, I prepared for this sermon. Uh, Your people prepared to come and hear it. But even with all of our preparation, we cannot make, none of us can make your word effectual. Only you, by your blessed Holy Spirit can give forth life from that word and so we ask you to do that very thing give us life the eternal life spoken of even here in this passage we ask these things in Jesus name amen well in a moment ago i sort of mapped out a little bit of acts chapter 13 and last week we did begin this second step into the ends of the earth again we saw how the uh, looking back at isaiah eleven eleven, 11 uh, god promised that the good news would come to even the islands in the sea we saw that first step taken onto the island of cyprus and now the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth that phrase even used here in this passage quoted from another passage in isaiah uh, we see the gospel going to antioch and pisidia We looked at it last week, and as we saw, Paul give this amazing sermon. It really is a fantastic sermon in Acts chapter 13. Uh, The reception was good. And in fact, the conclusion was this in verse 42. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Well, our text, beginning in verse 44, is the next Sabbath. (laughs) We're beginning today in the next Sabbath. And so today, I want us to consider two radically different responses to the gospel. Remember Paul last time, as he declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ, said, I'm telling you good news. So that same gospel message focusing on Christ and his resurrection is giving good news, but there are two radically different responses. In verse 45, we hear of those who are filled with jealousy, And in verse 52, we hear of those who are filled with joy. And with the Holy Spirit, there could hardly be two different kinds of responses. And so those will be our two points. First, filled with jealousy. And secondly, filled with joy. Well, in verse 44, we hear about this occasion on this next Sabbath where Luke says, Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And in verse 45, we hear those words which I just referred to. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Now understand, when Luke refers to the Jews, he's not referring to all Jews. Last time we saw that some among Uh, the Jews from the synagogues were coming to believe. So when he's speaking about the Jews here, he's speaking of the Jewish leaders. Why are they jealous? Well, of course, remember what happened the previous Sabbath. We read in verse 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So, They'd already lost many, (laughs) and now uh, they come where uh, the the whole city is coming, And, and so it would be still some from among their group, more from among their group is coming to hear. They're poised to hear and to believe, but you see, what's going on here is much more than the challenge that they would lose a few more from their fold. They are seething with jealousy here. And they, in Luke's language, contradict and revile Paul. uh, Much more because possibly they're going to lose a few more from their synagogue following. Remember what Paul said last week in verse 39. He said this, And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of moses you see these jews their path to freedom lay through the law of moses particularly circumcision and the ceremonial law but paul was teaching Indeed, Paul, we saw last week from all the passages from the Old Testament, the Psalms that he quotes from, that even the Old Testament itself proclaims another path to freedom, one found in the resurrected Christ. In fact, he dared to say last week that that Christ, the resurrected Christ, frees everyone from that which they could not be freed from the law of Moses. In other words, let me break it down to you. Paul made it very, very clear last week that circumcision and adherence to the ceremonial and civil uh, civil laws of Moses are no longer required to be a part of God's people. And if you don't think that's a big point going on right here, just read the next two chapters. You're going to see that it's all about that. People are getting, people are understanding what Paul is saying. No more circumcision required. No more adherence to uh, the law of Moses in in those respects. The, The moral law, yes, of course. But not the burdensome aspects of the law, which are no longer needed in light of Jesus Christ. And the Jews realize, if that message takes root, not only are they going to lose those from among their camp, they're going to lose all potential converts because Paul is saying you no longer come into God's people by that means, through adherence to the law of Moses in that way. They will not just lose a few who will get out the gates. They will cease to be the gatekeepers if this message takes root. And that's why they are seething with jealousy. Now, what's the spiritual root of this problem? Well, it's, it's this, of course. They, uh, the law of Moses was indeed good in all of its facets, but they had perverted it to be all about them. It's about my influence, it's about my converts, my numbers, my recognition, my following my power now we would never struggle with matters like that right it would never be a challenge to any of us let me ask you this why do you come to church is it in any measure to be recognized in some way to receive recognition from other people how do you handle it when there are those at church who you lose to your point of view on things, whether that point of view accords with truth or whether it doesn't. I'm making the point that when you lose those uh, to the point of view, and that point of view is all about you. See, if we get caught up in losing people to our point of view, ultimately because it's our point of view, then this passage shows us that we are in serious Serious trouble. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that to say that we must not guard the truth. Of course, we do that. I'm talking about the danger of wanting to amass an influence, the danger to have a following, particularly over against others in the church. That is a danger to every single person in the church, it is particularly a danger to leaders. Brothers, we must guard ourselves, particularly on this matter, so that it not be ever about uh, people being uh, holding to our points of view, as Paul would say later to the Corinthians, it's not about being of Paul or Cephas or of Apollos. There were even there, those in Corinthians who had a Christ division, actually, to <laughs> be of Christ. To all of us, if we end up making the church about us, if we do that, what, or rather who, will be left out? Well, we know. The Lord will be left out. He will be thrust aside, as it were. And so we read in verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, and then Paul goes on, or rather they go on, and say, since you thrust it aside, The the word had to first come, this, this message of the gospel had to first come to the Jews because they were the ones who held on to the oracles of God in the Old Testament. They were first in line, as it were. And when God comes to them through the preaching of the good news, even based on the Old Testament scriptures that we looked at last week, and they thrust the word of God aside, they thrust God aside. Turning to themselves out of their own jealousy means necessarily they reject God. There's really quite, a, quite an ironic way of speaking in verse 46. I look at verse 46. I read part of it. Let me read the rest of it. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What does it mean for Luke to say that they judged themselves unworthy of, of eternal life. Uh, well, on the one hand, uh, he's saying that their reception, or lack thereof, really their rejection of the gospel, in thrusting aside God's word which is centrally about Jesus Christ, who is God's gift to sinners, the one in whom anyone becomes worthy of eternal life. And thrusting that word aside and thrusting Christ aside, they judge themselves to be unworthy of God's eternal life found in Christ. And so we all need to be very careful. Should there be anyone here today who rejects the news, the, the good news found in Jesus Christ. You judge yourselves unworthy to, to have that because you judge yourselves unworthy. Unworthy, uh, you judge Christ, the only worthy one, to be the way of coming to the Lord and having the eternal life which is found in him without Christ. You and I, certainly all of us, are unworthy of eternal life. But there's a second sentence in which I think they were declaring, um, uh, Barnabas and Paul were declaring these Jews, to be unworthy of eternal life. Look at verse 47, which is a quote from Isaiah 49, verse 6. This is very interesting. There we read this. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There it is. They know that they are in the ends of the earth. Uh, Who was to be a light to the nations? Who was being spoken of back in Isaiah 49? Well, that passage is part of the so-called servant songs of Isaiah. And perhaps you're familiar with that. Isaiah will go back and forth talking about the servant of the Lord. And at one time, he will speak of that servant as an individual. And at another time, he will speak of that servant as a group, Israel. And really, you don't have to choose between one and the other because the group has no identity apart from their life and the individual. This is Covenant Theology 101. What is true of the head is true of the body. And so the, uh, the language found in verse 47, being a light, that language is used elsewhere in the New Testament of Christ, but it's also used of his church. Listen to John eight twelve. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Well, which is it? It's both. The church is the light of the world because Christ is that light. And we find our life and our identity in him. And so all the way back in Isaiah, there was a plan. There was a plan that God's corporate people, by coming to lay hold of the Messiah, that they would be a light To the Gentiles. But if they reject the Messiah, if they reject the light of the world, how can they, how can Israel be a light to the Gentiles? In thrusting aside God and His Word, a Word which is principally about His Son, the true light to the Gentiles, in doing that, uh, we read here, That they make a judgment against themselves, not only about their own possession of eternal life, but also because you reject Christ, O Israel, because you turn your backs on, uh, uh, on him, you also turn your backs on the high, high privilege that God had called you for, to be a light to those who are lost. You judge yourselves unworthy of the privilege of heralding eternal life. To the Gentiles. Therefore. <laughs> verse 46. We are turning to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are saying. Came to you first. You would not believe. You would not accept this duty. This responsibility. This privilege. Therefore we are now going to do it. We are going to do what you would not do. We will be the light to the Gentiles. And by we, they mean the church. Now, people of God, this passage addresses us. Do you realize that we have this task? Yes, the OPC, yes, the Presbyterian of the Midwest, but hope, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Do you realize that in Christ, God honors us with this highest kind of privilege to be a light to the Gentiles, to be a light to the world? How should you respond to that wonderful privilege that God would give you to you? Be a light to the Gentiles. Well, let me give you some suggestions. Invite and pray for newcomers, especially the unconverted, whom God might lead here to this place. And should they accept your invitation and should God answer your prayers to bring such people? Be ready. You. Be the first to greet them. You, be the first to welcome them because, again, this is our privilege to be a light. Maybe they will look different than you. They might not come dressed the right way. Perhaps they'll have tattoos. Perhaps they know nothing of what it means, but we formed means. Perhaps they don't even know who John Calvin or the Westminster Standards are. God grant you the privilege of welcoming such people. By the way, uh, yesterday we as a session began some thoughts and some plannings about how we might even be able to uh, do this in some special ways and some special steps throughout this year. And I look forward to telling you more about that. Well, I spent quite a bit of time on this first point. Let me now go to our second. We looked at those who are filled with jealousy. Let us look now at those who are filled with joy. Uh, if being filled with jealousy describes the response of the Jewish leaders when they hear the gospel and uh, they are so disturbed by the loss that they are having because it's all about them, then being filled with joy marks the other response, the very different response, the response of the Gentiles. We hear first about this in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began Rejoicing Now, even in English, you can hear the the similarity between rejoice and filled with joy that we hear about later. In Greek, it's also the same word. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then, of course, we do read down in verse 52, hearing that language of filled, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, let me ask you this. We've seen two very different responses. What accounts for those very different responses? Why do some respond with other contempt and hatred and jealousy, uh, contradicting and reviling, and others respond with wonderful joy and reception and faith? Is it because the Gentiles were cleverer than the Jews? Or perhaps their hearts were not as hardened so that they had something within them that could still respond favorably? Let me cut to the chase. Is the difference found in anything in them? Well, Luke gives the answer to that question, doesn't he? Look at verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I mentioned Calvinism a minute ago, but you know, uh, Calvinism is actually not some invention by this fellow, John Calvin. Unconditional election, particularly, is not something invented by him or some other reformer. It's found right in the scriptures themselves. It flows right out of the Bible. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Not one more, not one less. As many as were appointed believed. And Luke consistently teaches the truth of this unconditional election throughout, his, uh, throughout the book of Acts. Think of Acts chapter 16. You remember this lady, Lydia, who hears Paul preaching and she responds favorably. She believes. Why does she believe? Luke tells us in Acts 16 that while she heard Paul, the Lord opened her heart. Unless... The Lord appoints someone to believe, and unless the Lord opens their heart, all will respond with a cold, callous rejection of the gospel. You and I would respond with utter contempt and hatred to such good news. You would spurn the Son of God forever. And that should both humble you and I. But also it should fuel our joy to unparalleled heights. For if you do not contribute one thing which uh, brings you to salvation, then you cannot do one thing ultimately which will cause you to lose that salvation either. You see, if you can contribute something, then you can take away something and it puts the whole of your salvation into doubt, into uncertainty, And the doctrine of God's unconditional election is meant to be not a disquieting thing, but rather a deep, comforting thing that you can look to the Lord and to him alone. And if you are, don't worry about whether you're elect or not. Just hear the call to believe and trust. And if you do that, it is God's sign that he is working in you. All are beckoned to look to Christ for salvation. Indeed, uh, this doctrine not just fuels us individually but it should fuel our joy as a church as a whole Uh, individually yes we give reason for the hope within us but as a church we want to be a light to the nations and so as you're inviting people to come to church and to hear the gospel do we have any guarantee that that will be effective yes we do as many as are appointed who come and hear the word of god they will believe that is a wonderful assurance. That's, that's good for me to know. You know that it takes a lot of burden off me to get every word right. The Lord will do this. And so let's get busy, Hope Presbyterian Church, building on God's promises. Indeed, we may be filled with joy. Why? Why are we... What is the the real source of the joy found in the passage here? Well, verse 52 says, If we have Christ, if we look to him with faith, he fills us with joy because he fills us with his Holy Spirit. That's really what the message of eternal life here is is, is all about. That language of eternal life is used several times in this passage. What is it to have eternal life? It's not just to go to heaven, it's to have God who is in heaven. (laughs) is to have his Holy Spirit. That is to have eternal life. And who shall separate you from that eternal life? Who shall separate you from God's Spirit? Using Paul's words elsewhere. Shall death or life? Shall angels or rulers or things present or things to come? Shall height or depth? Shall anything else in all creation be able to separate you from the love of God which is found in our Lord Jesus Christ? Shall COVID? Shall a government and its policies, which you may not like, be able to separate you from those things? Shall an ever-increasing rebellion and hardenedness uh, in our culture to God and his law take away those things from you? Shall you not having that friend or that thing Or whatever it is that you desire, shall you not having that in your life separate you from eternal life, from the Spirit of God? They shall not. And so if none of those things can separate you from God, then none of those things ought to be able to separate you from the joy. Which should also fill you when the Spirit fills you. And so, if you're walking around angry and dour and upset because of all the stuff that's going on right now, reevaluate your life. Reevaluate your life from a God centered, Christ centered, gospel centered perspective. You are filled with joy. You should be filled with joy because God has filled you. With his Holy Spirit, he has given you himself. Through Christ, he has given you eternal life with him forever. This is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17, that they know you and your only son who you have sent. Do such re-evalu- reevaluation if you need it and do it post haste. The psalmist says in Psalm 43:5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, people of God, we've looked at this text. We've seen that there are very different responses to the gospel. Some, which see that the gospel is not about them, are disquieted. They are filled with joy, are filled with jealousy. Others, when they know that the good news brings them eternal life, Brings them the Spirit of God to dwell with them forever. They are filled with joy. May you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and may you be those filled with joy and not with jealousy. Let's go to the Lord together here in prayer.